Good afternoon. I'm Blake Murphy. 4-2 loss for the Blue Jays. And if you were going to look at everything that's happened in the last couple weeks with the Blue Jays, and you were told, well, you're down two, but another kind of makeshift bullpen day only allowed four runs. And you have the tying run on base in the bottom of the ninth. And Bo Bichette, who has been on the hottest of hot streaks, I teed it up in the pregame. Over his last 11 games, no player in Blue Jays history and no player in Major League Baseball this year has added more win probability for their team over an 11-game stretch than Bo Bichette has these last 11 games. Well, I think you'd feel pretty good about that. Hottest hitter in baseball, up at the plate, tying run on base, bottom of nine, and your pitchers kept you in a game that on paper maybe you didn't expect to be in as well as you were. Bo Bichette grounds out to first base. At the end of a loss to a team you're chasing in the standings, I don't know that it's the right time for moral victories for some of you. Having said that, that was one of the most incredible plate appearances you will see. It was, you know, I had someone someone tweet in, uh, Ryan Martin tweeted in, that's the type of at-bat, that, that's why you watch baseball. And, and he's not wrong. It was pretty tremendous. So Bo comes up in that big spot, swing and miss at the first pitch, and then he starts to get an idea of what Fairbanks wants to do. He takes a fastball on the edge, swings at another one, takes one. So it's 2-2. He's swung at what's in the zone. He's laid off what wasn't. Then he fouls one off. Fairbanks finally goes to a slider. Bo fouls that off as well. Fouls off a 99 and a 100 as well to stay alive. Takes a ball three. Fouls off another one at 100. And then the final pitch of the plate appearance is the one swing decision Bo Bichette would probably like to have back. He takes a pitch outside the zone and chops it to first base. Another one up around 99. But the coherence of that plate appearance, the obvious plan that he had to try to take some heat the other way, and if a slider missed the spot, uh, maybe your back comes around quickly enough to pull it. It didn't work out. But on a day you go two for five and you have that quality uh, a plate appearance, I, I think that's you know a pretty big piece of confidence that Bo Bichette's going to continue this stretch of plays on maybe not at a maybe not at the level of hey no one in Jay's history is hit like this for 11 games before but certainly when we talk about the approach changes and the improvements in how he's coming up to the plate you can't be too too unhappy with the job Bo tried to do there one more silver lining for you before we get into the bat the Jays had to juggle their pitching rotation Alec Manoa was expected to start game one he came down with a stomach bug late last night or early this morning whichever you prefer so the Jays had to bump into game two we don't know yet if he's going to be able to pitch the obvious thing if Manoa can't pitch is well who is going to if Manoa can pitch, you you just kind of you just kind of deal with it. In the event Manoa can pitch, and you're just looking ahead to the rest of the series, um, Julian Merriweather opens. He gives you one. It looked like it was going to be a rough go from there for Mitch White. Uh, he comes in, he gives up three in the second inning. He pitches. 
some of that is hard luck. You get um, – oh, by the way, Alec Manoa is going to start game two. That has been updated by the team now. Manoa is good to go. So if you are leaving the park and, and thinking about coming back around for 7 o'clock, if you're just going to smash street meat in between your loony dog days, uh, if you were thinking about coming down to the game and you were on the fence, you get Manoa tonight. Uh, the team has confirmed that. We'll see if he's at a uh, 1,000% or, or full Manoa, but he's good to go. That's great news. Had he not been able to go, Mitch White giving you six innings as a follower was well appreciated. Yeah, he gave up three three earned runs. Um, one of those was on a very bizarre play. You just heard Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph talking about it as the play of the game. Um, Arena scores from first on a single because, first of all, it deflects off Matt Chapman's glove as, as he tries to make a a pretty good play on it. And then Teoscar Hernandez gets caught napping a little bit and can't make the throw home in time. Uh, so Rosarena scoring for him first on a single really is <sighs> a tough one. Anyway, Mitch White settles down from there. Going six innings as a follower, and I know we're in the era of openers and followers, that is still extremely rare. It's only happened five times this season, and this is the only the third time it's happened where – there was actually a ball game, and it wasn't just a guy wearing it like you saw with, I mean, Kohei Arihara was not a, a follower the other night. He started, but in a situation like that where you're just asking a guy to wear it. So even in the age of openers and followers, that's only happened three times all year. Uh, Mitch White had only done it once before. This was actually tied for the second longest Mitch White has ever stayed in a game. Um, he's a guy that even when he was pitching well in LA, we heard the book on him was uh, about 80 pitches and then you better get him out of there. Twice through the order. He'd only gone deeper than six uh, once before. So Mitch White hangs in there and yeah, three over six is whatever. It's not perfect, but had he been the starting pitcher, that would have been a quality start. And had you entered a doubleheader where Manoa got scratched and you were told Mitch White's going to have a 450 ERA in this game. I think you'd be pretty fine with that. Uh, David Phelps gives them two very efficient innings from there, only needing 20 pitches. So on a pseudo bullpen slash call-up day, you only have to use three arms. If Alec Manoa weren't able to go tonight, you would have eight arms still ready to go in your bullpen. You now have Manoa and those eight arms. So whether that's managing a tight game and using your leverage guys like Jordan Romano, or it's taking the long view of, hey, this is still a long week ahead. You've got a game tonight, and you play every day through Sunday. So um, the Alec Manoa news is terrific. The bullpen being saved more than you might expect is also good. Um, you do have some downsides, though, of course. You lost the game. Of course there are downsides. Um, you lost the game in which Tampa didn't even play their their best, best game. A couple errors on their end. Unreal start from Jeffrey Springs, though. Six shutout innings, only five base runners, uh, five strikeouts as well. And then the Jays get to Sean Armstrong a little bit, and they put runners on against Pete Fairbanks in the ninth, but they get out of it. Again, Bo Bichette with a, a ground out at the end of a pretty terrific at-bat. Um, you can start sending in your calls and texts. You can text us at 590-590. I'm with you until 5 o'clock. Um, you can also call 416-870-0590 or 888-666-0590. Or if you're on mobile, 
just hit star 590. I believe we have our first call in the line. It's Mark in Idaho. Mark, before we get to your question, I have a question for you. You were here in Toronto from Idaho for the game? No, no, I went. I come back from currently in Idaho this time of year. September's uh, great. I went to Baltimore. I was in Baltimore last week, and I'm, I was at the game today. And well, uh, being at the game, being at the, I went to Baltimore two of the Baltimore games. But um, being at the game, nobody at the game could figure out why they took Merriweather out after the first inning. Does anybody know why? I mean, you put him in there to start one inning. He did give up one run, but that was it. Why, why is he still pitching? Yeah, so I think, and thanks for the question. Glad you got to go to the game and the games in Baltimore, Mark, um, even though you're you're from Idaho, which is cool. Um, so I, I I was a little curious about that as well. Merriweather only threw 16 pitches. You used them for two innings in a game just the other day, so you're obviously comfortable with that. Um, I'm of two minds here. The first is that they almost certainly wanted Mitch White to come in with a clean inning, and if Merriweather got in trouble in the second, then maybe you have to use an extra arm there or use Mitch White in a situation they didn't want to use him in. Uh, the other is that while Merriweather got out of that game with only one run on those two hits, um, it, he wasn't pitching super well. He, he was a little nibbly, and the fastball was you know not locating as best as you might like. I would have personally, on a day like this, had him go out there a second inning, but I'd imagine the combination of he didn't look perfect and you want Mitch White to start a clean inning, one out for them. Um, Obviously, they get a little fortunate in that regard as Mitch White gives them six innings of three-run ball, so between the two of them, you still got seven, not the the worst outcome. But yeah, I thought it was a little... uh, a little strange at first uh, as well. And now, in retrospect, uh, now that you know Alec Manoa is going to start game two with no restrictions, as John Schneider told media just now, um, obviously you didn't know that at the time, so you can't manage that way, but it looks like you would have been in pretty good shape even if you had to use uh, one more arm. You do have the 29th guy today. You didn't use too many of your guys yesterday. Um, this is a, another question uh, related to this. This is Steph from Quebec City. Uh, every reliever day, Schneider tries to open the game with a short guy, then switch him for a long reliever. I understand the principle um, for opposite batters, but it's the other team scored every time. I don't like the strategy at all. Um, a reliever doesn't have the routine of starters. So, Steph, um, why they do this in theory, and this is just the theoretical here. So they do this because ideally you're – Reliever opens the game. So say Merriweather comes in and he gets through the first inning and only faces four batters. Well, then Mitch White gets to come in and he can face the bottom five guys in the order. And then, yes, he's going to have to face Yandy Diaz, Wander Franco, and Randy Rosarena at some point. But if you can get Mitch White through a couple of innings, only seeing that dangerous part of the order once, um, that's what they're going for there. So you could you could conceivably have Mitch White go through 14 batters before he has to see their dangerous hitters a second time. Um, So in theory, that's what they're protecting against. That's what they're trying to do there. I'm not a huge believer in the opener, mostly because most teams can't afford to use a reliever in that spot who is good enough to make it worthwhile. Like the, the original was Tampa Bay using Sergio Romo there and that was fine. Sergio Romo was good. He, he came in and he was pretty electric for an inning of games. Um, surely you remember the Jays using Wilmer font in that way uh, to far less effect. So 
that's the answer to your question. It does not mean I'm necessarily a, a believer in it. You know, you could convince me in a playoff series if there's a super good matchup for a Merriweather or Richards type at the top of the order or, you know, if you're in a spot. So let's absolute best case scenario. The Jays make the ALCS. It's a tight series and you have five game days in a row, which means either you're starting someone on short rest or you're doing the um, you're doing a. Kikuchi slash white slash bullpen day somewhere. Then in that leverage a situation where your follower is probably only going two or three innings anyway, I could get there. Anyway, this is a long way of saying that that's the logic for it, and I don't love it myself. Uh, Let's take a break, and then let's see where the Jays and Rays stack up uh, now that two games of this five-game set are done. We'll also take a look at the starting pitching matchup uh, for the second leg of tonight's game, which is, we now know, Alec Manoa. And we believe Josh Fleming on the Tampa Bay side. Uh, That's next as Jay's talk continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You have a game two starter? Yeah, Manoa's starting. Did he report that he's feeling well? Like, what's his kind of status? Obviously, well enough to pitch. Yeah, he's feeling fine. Um, Expect kind of the normal outing for him. Um, Feeling a lot better. So um, just ride him out there like we always do. That was John Schneider uh, updating us that Alec Manoa will start game two of today's doubleheader. Again, that's at 7.07. Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker will have Jay's talk for you post-game. I'm Blake Murphy with you right now for Jay's talk post-game for this game. Now it's time for the Bet365 standings update. Bet365 is the world's favorite sportsbook with 63 million members worldwide. 19-plus, play responsibly, Ontario only. Last night, the Jays beat the Rays and jump ahead of them in the wildcard chase. Well, you lose to the Rays today. Guess where you end up? Right back where you started. One and one through the first two of this five-game set. So the Jays are back to half a game behind Tampa, half a game behind Seattle. Those teams go one, two, three, Seattle, Tampa, Toronto in the wildcard slots right now. That is mostly what we need to focus on because the Jays are six games back of the Yankees and five and a half up on Baltimore. So barring something dramatic in either direction, we're going to be focused in on mostly the wild card standings the next little bit. You can take a look around uh, the rest of the American League, and, and there's some intrigue, particularly in the AL Central. It's just not super wild card relevant anymore. Uh, Cleveland tops the AL Central. The White Sox are three games behind them. Minnesota's five games back. Um, the AL West is not a division race whatsoever. So you're looking at the AL Central. You're looking kind of at the AL East, but not all that much. And then, you know, Baltimore and the White Sox on the long shot periphery of the wildcard race. Now, that Bet365 standings update takes us to a reasonable question from Kyle in West Gulf. Of course, the reasonable question comes from the region. Uh, what's up, Kyle? Um, so he says the Tampa-Seattle followed by Houston route is so bad. Would we not want to finish sixth and have Cleveland and then the Yankees, assuming the division is out of reach? Kyle, absolutely you would. Um, one of our topics on Jay's Talk Plus last week was, you know, would you? what's more important to you, having home field in the first round or even just – being able to line up your starters in the way you want. So, for example, let's say you head into that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against the Orioles at the end of the season, and you know you have a playoff spot locked up, but the wild card spots are still in flux. 
I would argue with the wild card series going Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that I don't think I would start Gosman or Manoa in either of those games. Um, I just would not care that much about where you finish one, two, three in the wild card. Now you can't. It's just too risky, and I mean it's too risky karmically it's also too risky this early to be worrying about trying to slide down the standings and pick your spot um but i will say when you get down to the very last couple games of the season i'm not that worried about locking up the number one wild card spot versus the number three wild card spot because as kyle says um the al central path is a little easier and more importantly than that to me is that you'd be able to better choose who's starting the games. I would rather go on the road with Manoa and Gosman than be at home with, you know, Barrios and question mark. Um, and I think, you know, when we talked about it on Jay's Talk Plus the other day, uh, or last week, rather, that was a pretty common refrain, not universal. Some people in the text line uh, disagreed. Let's take it in a different direction. Let's take a call. You can keep those calls coming to 416-870-0590 or 888-666-0590 or just hit star 590 on your phone. Uh, Russ in Peterborough. Russ, what's up, man? Hey, um, so I was just wondering, I mean, the top of the order is we haven't been scoring runs in the first few innings, and we need to kind of just really start to generate something there. What about the idea of putting either Merrifield or Bradley in at number two, and if Springer can get on, bunt him over to second, and that way we leave uh, Bo with a runner in scoring position early in the game, you know, a way to just generate something early. I mean, if we had early offense in this game, this game would probably be a whole lot different uh, coming into the ninth and and where everybody's uh, uh, sitting. I mean, if I love Vladdy, but – I mean, it's the second game of a doubleheader. If he sat down and just on the bench, he could still come in late in the game when game's on the line. He's still that hitter, but, you know, lately it's just he feels like he's struggling. And so, anyways, just a thought. I know Schneider's probably not listening to this, but anyways. Well, he better not be listening to this. He's got another game to get ready for. Uh, Russ and Peterborough, thanks for the question. So um, to kind of rephrase that, the Jays are having trouble scoring runs early in games. Um, Is there a way you could tweak the batting order, change the lineup so that you could get runs earlier in games? Now, Russ's suggestion was a Merrifield or Bradley type in the two hole to move Springer over, get him into scoring position. Uh, To those suggestions, I would say absolutely not. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. and Whit Merrifield are both hitting under 200 uh, in the last month. And really, uh, they both have such poor numbers on the season that you wouldn't want them coming up additional times over the course of the game. Usually, if one of those guys starts, they're getting pinch hit for. Um, That's because you don't want them coming up a ton. And I would also say, you know, there is some value in bunting in some situations. Um, But early in a game, and and I know I get what you're saying, Russ, and and I get that you're not saying, well fewer runs is better than more you're just saying get on the board a little bit help your pitcher settle down you know just get something early put pressure on the other team i get that element of it um but 
you'd be kicking yourself, I think, if there's a you know a first inning rally because you do have a handful of very good hitters and you've given away an out to move a guy up a base. Um, there aren't many scenarios in which that's going to pay off, and the scenarios in which it might pay off tend to be later in the game when you know how many runs you need, you know if you can sacrifice an out for a run here and there. Um, now, I'm going to spin your question a little bit because I do think the batting order side of your question uh, is interesting. I'm not benching Vladimir Guerrero Jr. if you're John Schneider. That's uh, it's probably asking for uh, a mutiny or, or for uh, you know to lose your job or something like that. However, we've seen John Schneider move guys around in the batting order, and I do wonder if with Vlad pressing the way he is and struggling the way he is, if that's in the cards. Maybe now he did have a a single in this game in the eighth inning, but again he comes up in a big spot late in the game, uh, strikes out. He has actually hit better in the three-hole this year. I don't think you want to touch Bo Bichette right now. You just leave Bo Bichette uh, wherever. And then the the question would be, you know, who do you put in the two spot at a time when, um, you know, Alejandro Kirk's hitting okay, but he hasn't been been gangbusters. And your your next best hitter over the last month after Bo Bichette is Danny Jansen. Uh, the reality is, is that Bo Bichette's carrying a lot of this offense right now, so you don't have perfect options. But um, anyway, Russ, I, I do wonder if they, they take a look at shifting the batting order just a little bit because that's what they seemed to do uh, earlier in the year, and it was to fairly good effect. Um this is from Nick in Toronto related to this really needed a walk off from Vladdy waiting for him to find himself. Uh, yeah, he's going through it a little bit and you know, over the last month he has been almost exactly a league average hitter, which that's one thing when Bo Bichette spends some time as a league average hitter because he's playing shortstop. It's even not the end of the world that Vlad has a, a cold stretch, but process wise, it doesn't look like Vlad has a great idea of how to pull himself out of it. And, and you know, an interesting thing yesterday was watching him sit on a low pitch and take it the other way for a double because that is how teams are going to pitch him. Um, he is seeing the sixth highest rate of pitches low in the zone from opposing pitchers uh, because he is dramatically worse on pitches low in the zone. Now, the strikeout he had today, that was uh, in the ninth inning, that was a beautifully placed slider right at the top of the zone. It would have been a called strike three had he not swung and missed at it. Um, that's a tough one. That's just a really good pitch from from Fairbanks there. Uh, but in general, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, Vlad hasn't yet made the big adjustment to being pounded down in the zone. And we saw that in his on his eighth inning single, um, he took a pitch down in the zone, um, you know, maybe a little bit of fortune there with the the first baseman coming off the bag on the throw uh it was going to be tight regardless uh but you at least like to see him handling a plate appearance in which they're they're working him down um again you go back to the sixth inning today and i i don't know how much of this was just this is how jeffrey springs operates and how much of it was the rays having a conscious plan for how to mix and match with Vlad over the course of uh, five games here Um, because Jeffrey Springs works up in the zone a lot with his fastball. And we saw the Rays after pounding Vlad down in the zone only yesterday, work him up in the zone a little bit more in this one. Um, You know, still though late in plate appearances with plate appearances on with the, the plate appearance in the balance. That's when they started to 
go low on him. And if they went high, they tended to miss high. So it's ones that maybe he would uh, pop up or swing under. Uh, his swinging strikeout in the sixth was a changeup low and just inside the zone. So, uh, yeah, I don't know when the big moment's coming. It seemed like there were a couple opportunities for it yesterday. Seemed like, obviously, there was a big opportunity for it today as well. Um, he's going through it a little bit right now. Not even a little bit. Him being an average hitter for an entire month is uh, unlike anything we've seen. And the ground ball rate is what it is. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he tries to round out of it. Um, to see how the Jays try to round him out of it from a process perspective or batting order perspective. Um, a, tw- a stat here, by the way, from James G. and T.O. The last time Vladimir Guerrero drove a run in while the Jays were trailing, um, that tie. So the last time Vlad had a game tying or go-ahead RBI in the sixth inning or later was over a year ago. Over a year ago. He hasn't done it once this season from the sixth inning on. Um, now, some of that's situational. Maybe the Jays are ahead. Um, they I, There were, were certainly times where the opponent, opposing team early in the year just wouldn't pitch to him in those spots. But pretty remarkable to go an entire calendar year plus some uh, without a go-ahead or game-tying uh, hit. That's uh, that's not a great one. A couple more texts in the – oh, we got a, we got a call. Um Tony in Toronto wants to talk uh, about potential rotation stuff in the playoffs. Tony, how are you? Fantastic. Uh, we already know that Manoa and Gosman are going to pitch either one or two, right? In game three, couldn't we platoon Barrios with them on two days rest? Uh, I I don't know. Two days rest is is pretty extreme, Tony. Um, if you were you know if you're in the World Series and you want to Madison Bumgarner it and try to have a guy go one four seven, like you you almost definitely could manage to do that at least for a couple innings here and there. Um, in a game three of a wild card series, yeah. If you don't win, you you don't move on. But none of neither of those guys would have any experience pitching with that quick a turnaround um, wouldn't be their bullpen day until the day prior because there or the day after because there are no um, no off days in that wild card series um, you know the the move might be then to try to have one of those guys in for penciled in for game three um, in, and, and you know go one three or something like that the other thing as I mentioned earlier is that this all depends on you not maximizing your rotation for home field because if you go into that last week of the season you're still close with tampa and seattle uh who knows what'll happen um kevin gosman playing uh playing catch right now in left field by the way uh, if you missed it earlier alec manoa will start tonight against the tampa bay rays in the second leg of the doubleheader. um he was scratched from the opener because of a stomach bug but he's good to go as john schneider told us uh, between games. By the way, when we were going through a bunch of the potential transaction iterations on the pregame show, so we looked at, you know, okay, what if this first game's a disaster? Mitch White doesn't give you six. He gives you two. You burn through the whole bullpen, and Alec Manoa can't make it make his start. Now, that's not the scenario, but I thought that this was interesting anyway. Um, Nate Pearson was on Blair and Barker, and they asked him, about what the plan is for him. He's made a rehab start at high A, or a rehab appearance, rather, at high A. He's made a rehab appearance at triple A. Um, we haven't heard anything 
along the lines of a timeline because he's had setback after setback. Um, Nate Pearson spoke to Blair and Barker earlier today. Um, go check the whole interview out on the Blair and Barker podcast feed. But here is Pearson on what the plan is for him in the near future. As far as you know right now, what are the plans What are the plans going forward here for you? Have the, have the Jays told you anything, or is it just let's, you know, one step at a time, let's get this built up, and then we'll make a decision? Or, I mean, is there a, a thought in your mind that you may be, again, this, this team could be playing games in middle of October, late mm. October. Is there any thought in your mind you might be able to help out? I mean, that's that's the goal. That's that's what I'm uh, envisioning. You know, it's, uh, it's getting late here in uh, September. You know, I have uh, a couple more outings here, and then, you know, we're taking it one step at a time, but I know I can help the team out. You know, I've uh, pitched in that wild card game uh, a couple of years ago, and I know I know I can help out. It's just uh, the whatever the team needs, you know, I'm, I'm here. Um, I'll be ready. It's just, you know, I got to show them that I'm healthy and feeling good, and then uh, we'll go from there. Interesting that Pearson has eyes on a major league contribution this year, and he, as he points out, uh, did pitch in the wild card before. So we're going to take a couple more texts. We, we won't have lineups in time for the second leg of this one. Uh, I'd be quite surprised. Also, the Rays made a bit of a change. We expected Josh Fleming to start the game. Um, he was called up. Maybe he's going to be a, a bulk follower slash reliever type, but they currently have Yanni Chirinos uh, listed as their starter. Uh, Chirinos, you've probably seen. He's been with the Rays since back in 2018. He's kind of been in and out of the mix uh, multiple times. He's been in their system since 2013. Uh, a Tampa, The rare Tampa Bay lifer. Um, so far this year, he has not pitched a lot um, as he works his way back from injury. He only pitched 11 innings in 2020. He missed all of last season. And then this year, he has just kind of slowly worked his way back up from Complex League to AAA. And now one appearance in the majors where he threw uh, three innings. So he is stretched out enough to throw three innings. Um he did that a couple times at AAA, so if you're looking at what to expect from Chirinos, um, you can probably expect once through the order and then move back to the bullpen, similar to Cooper Criswell yesterday, who, and, and look, honestly, it's, it could be a similarly frustrating one where we teed it up on Jay's Talk Plus, Cooper Criswell, it always seemed like on paper he was going to give the Jays a ton of trouble the first time through the order. You'd get really frustrated, and then the Rays would yank him before you could do the second time through the order damage. Uh, the Jays actually started pouring it on before they got him out of there, and then they were like, yeah, we're, we're not going to leave this guy uh, in here. So um, some of the Jays have faced Torinos in the past, but it will be going back a ways now. Um, again, he just hasn't pitched a lot in, in the major leagues over the last couple years, um, 60 plate appearances against active Blue Jays, with and they have some pretty good numbers against him. In particular, Teoscar Hernandez, six for ten against him in his career with two doubles and a homer. So if Teoscar Hernandez is in the lineup for game two and he's looking to get a measure of redemption after that uh, rough play in left field that led to a run in this one. There's your opportunity. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. also 4 for 12 uh, against Chirinos historically. So um, that's something to watch there. Merrifield, Hernandez, and Chapman have all homered off of him in the past. So not completely unfamiliar there. Again, we almost certainly won't have lineups for that one. uh, But the big headline item is Alec Manoa starting. Manoa, of course, I mean, it's funny. I do these... 
game previews on Jay's Talk Plus leading into the game, and the last segment is always going through the pitching matchup and the pitcher versus hitter stuff. And sometimes I feel silly when it's Alec Manoa, and I do it because of course you know Alec Manoa. Of course, like, and, and some of the stuff with Manoa defies analysis too, where it's like, well, yeah, um, he isn't striking a ton of guys out, but he's Alec Manoa. He's getting, he's allowing no hard contact whatsoever. Uh, the Rays have seen Manoa a lot, as you'd expect for a divisional opponent. They have really struggled against him. So active Tampa Bay Rays. We don't know the lineup, but guys who are active on their roster right now. Career, 9 for 67 against Alec Manoa with only a so that's a 134 batting average, only two extra base hits, so 164 slugging and a 21 to 7 strikeout to walk ratio. Manoa has obliterated the Rays in the past. Now, he might not be feeling 10,000% today. Maybe you even give the edge to the Rays because uh, they've seen him so much. Um, they've only seen him once this year. It was back in May. It was, uh, if you remember that game where the defense behind Manoa was pretty shaky. He ended up giving up three over six, but only one of those uh, was earned that day. So maybe the Rays have seen him enough individually. Maybe it tilts back in Manoa's favor because they haven't seen him a ton this year. Either way, uh, G-Man Choi being one for 10 against him with four walks is uh, is an interesting line. And then you get into a lot of offers. Uh, Manuel Margot, Yandy Diaz, Harold Ramirez, Jose Siri. Uh, all of those players are hitless against Manoa in three to six plate appearance uh, samples. So if Manoa's feeling even 80%, maybe you feel pretty good about um, his chances here. A couple more texts that I'll just quickly hit on uh, before we kick it over to fan drive time. And by the way, um, Jay's Talk Plus is back tomorrow, 3 to 5, so if I don't get to some of your texts, uh, pocket them for tomorrow, and, and we'll try to do what we can. Robert in Kelowna says the Jays are better off with Teoscar on the bench. His consistent lapses of concentration are going to kill the team. Um, no, you're not better with him. Better off with him off the bench. Um, it's just he's too good a player and too good a hitter but yeah it's really frustrating and I, i'm sure there's an element of frustration on the jays side when stuff like that happens and you know there was that stretch of play against the angels and the series following that where um you know he got a quote-unquote rest day for the foot that felt like maybe a slap on the wrist day or a wake-up call day uh colin and barry asks if the jays could benefit from playing tapia more he's been good lately he makes pitchers think about him when he's on base and he's a lefty I like Toppy in the role he's in, honestly. Um, you know, obviously he's playing a little bit re more right now with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hurt. His numbers on the year aren't anything special, but he ha he does seem to have a weird knack for having really good plate appearances uh, in important spots. I just think, you know, I, I get it. If he were absolutely mashing and you wanted to play him more or, um, you know, if you're looking ahead, if, if we were playing with last year's rules where the base running's a uh, – even more of an option. I, I don't dislike the idea of finding more spots for him. I just really like having a, a part-time slash pinch hit option like that. Uh, I just don't think having a, a good bench option and, you know, bench option might even be overstating it. You might say more like 11th man. I just like having that. That's a nice luxury to have um, if you're a manager. So in the, this is from Mitch in Saskatoon. He's passing on a stat 
that someone tweeted that in the last 28 innings, there's only been one RBI from someone other than Bo Bichette. Um, should we be worried about the offense? Um, probably not overall, Mitch, because, again, like like full season – this has been the number two offense in baseball by a lot of metrics. And if it's not top two, it's top five in a lot of things. We can chop it up by pitch type, velocity type, um, handedness of pitcher. You can go a lot of ways, and, and the Jays always come out near the top of the league, um, except for with runners in scoring position, where they drop to about average. And yeah, lately it's been very Boba heavy. I don't know how to quantify better than, than that tweet you passed along one guy doing the bulk of the work. Um, I don't know that it's worrisome. I, I think a baseball season's long, and you have nine guys in the lineup to where you kind of expect there to be stretches where a couple guys are cool and a couple guys are hot. This has been just an extreme, extreme version of this where I mentioned earlier, uh, Danny Jansen's been the number two hitter on this team after Bo Bichette over the last 30 days. And, and you know, Springer's been solid. Kirk's been solid, but... That's not how this team is built. Uh, Dan from Orangeville asks why Vlad is untouchable in the batting order no matter how cold he is. Uh, I don't think that's true, Dan. Um, They bumped him from – they moved him around earlier in the year when they were doing the juggle, and and that was in part about moving Vlad to the two spot where he's better suited maybe when things are rolling. But I don't think he's untouchable. I think – the most natural spot for him, if not two, is three, and you probably don't want to mess with what Bo Bichette has going on right now. Um, and then if he drops to four, which would be reasonable as well, my question would be, well, who the heck's hitting second then? Because there aren't a lot of guys hitting super well right now. Um, again, you could put Bo Bichette in that spot, but maybe you're a little hesitant to touch what's been working with Bo Bichette right now. Um, Roger in the 905 says Jays leaving runners in scoring position is going to destroy them, especially in the postseason. Need to score more runs. Four runs on a bullpen day is acceptable. Roger in the 905, I think that's a, a pretty apt way to wrap up the first part of this game. It was Sunday's story as well that um, the bullpen day, for lack of a better term, gave you nine innings with only four runs allowed. That's what they did again today. Um, Julia Merriweather, one over one. Mitch White, three over six. David Phelps, too very efficient. If you're if you have a bullpen day, you you'd obviously prefer not to have a bullpen day, but if you have to and you say, "Hey, we're going to have two bullpen days over the course of 3 days and they're going to have an ERA of 4." I think you're happy with that and the bats have to do their part more than they did Sunday, more than they did today. Um 4-2 loss. The bats came through late last night. Maybe they'll come through later today. Uh, The Jays and Rays continue this. Alec Manoa against Yoni Chirinos leading a pseudo bullpen day for the Rays in the nightcap. Hopefully Alec Manoa is feeling a little better. Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph on the call for you again. First pitch at 7.07. Blair and Barker will have Jays talk for you postgame. I'll be back with Jays talk plus 3 to 5 tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Blue Jays Baseball. Served up by the always game ready Jack Link's Meat Snacks. Feed your wild side, baseball fans.